I speak to you in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So in my sermon today, I'm going to focus on the passages from Isaiah and Hebrews. And the theme that I want to explore with you today is the theme of disruption. Disruption. We live in interesting times, don't you think? From our vantage point in Canada, we watch what seems to be the world as we have known it unraveling before our eyes. We witness the ongoing phenomenon of Trumpism in the United States. We watch what appears to be the slow motion train wreck of Brexit in the United Kingdom. We see protest movements like the yellow vests in France and elsewhere, and the rise of forms of nationalism and authoritarianism that we believed were comprehensively defeated in the ashes of the Second World War. Elsewhere, we see large uh, pro-democracy protests, as in Hong Kong in recent days and weeks, and movements to mobilize action to uh, combat climate change, like the Extinction Rebellion movement, or the movements inspired by uh, the teenager Greta Thunberg. We live in interesting and uncertain times. The ways of life that we knew, the things that seemed so certain, the things that we thought we could count on to be there forever, whether institutions or political parties or the very fabric of social and scientific consensus that we thought uh, existed in our society for a long time, all of that seems to be slipping away, the very ground under our feet crumbling, leaving us less and less of a foothold in the world. Not so long ago, there were academic historians who talked about the end of history, as though we'd finally got it all sorted out and we could just calmly cruise into a placid future, like a permanent, contented retirement from history and all its ups and downs. Well, history is back, and we are living in it. You see some of the same things happening in our economic world, the way the whole corporate world is structured. Companies that didn't exist a generation ago, Google, Apple, Facebook, Amazon, these companies are now economic titans, dominating the economy and having a greater and greater impact on our social and even our political lives. In the world of economics, the rise of these new titans is described as disruption. That's where we get that word, disruption. The rupturing or the breakup of things uh, as they were in our economy. The toppling of the corporate entities that were previously dominant, the major players, and their replacement with these new technology giants. Yes. We live in interesting and uncertain and, in many ways, worrying times. The economists tell us that markets don't like uncertainty. Well, I think all of us don't like uncertainty. It leaves us feeling unsettled, less confident, less secure. That's what living in the midst of disruption feels like. 
appropriate sound effects for it. <laughs> but disruption is not all bad news. The political and economic shifts that I've been describing have definitely brought negative things to the surface. But they have also created new opportunities. Sometimes disruption can even be a good thing. Sometimes it's a, a good and necessary thing. For example, when our structures and institutions, whether political or economic or even our religious structures, when they become calcified or ossified, when they become hardened into patterns and practices that are no longer able to respond to a changing environment, then disruption is necessary. So part of what we're learning today is that the neat and tidy social and political consensus that we seem to arrive at in the Western world in the post-war period, that consensus didn't work as well for some people as it did for others. It papered over some of the cracks. It masked the fault lines that continued to exist in our society. So part of what we're hearing today is a cry for a more profound reorientation of our social and political life so that we do address some of these issues that have long gone uh, unnoticed. Issues of massive inequality in income, the ongoing scourge of racism, the climate crisis, to name just a few. This is part of the opportunity that comes with disruption, the opportunity to notice, to listen, and to respond. So, what do we do in times like this, the times that I've described, times of great upheaval and uncertainty and insecurity? How do we find our bearing? How do we find a place to stand on, something to hold on to, to guide us? Well, if those are questions that you find yourself asking, then I think you have come to the right place this morning. Not because my sermon has the answer, not because it's all tied up and will be neatly presented to you, and not even because the church has all the answers. No. But because of what we do here, you know, when we gather to sing and to pray and to attend to the Word of God, when we eat and drink together at the table and we become the body of Christ. What we do here when we gather each Sunday has the potential to answer those questions, to give us the answers we need. In our scripture stories, we, we can discern a way of living in the world with all of those ups and downs, and we're given the assurance that if we live in this way, in God's way, we will attain what our tradition calls salvation, wholeness, well-being, oneness with God, that things will turn out right in the end for us and for everyone. Our scripture stories are also a good resource for us because they remind us that God's people have been here before, that God's people have a lot of experience living in interesting and uncertain and indeed in worrying times. So rather than speak of the end of history, scripture reminds us that we should perhaps speak of the cycles, the cycles of history, how over the course of human existence we tend to get ourselves into the same messes repeatedly, 
and find ourselves in need of rescue repeatedly, Scripture reminds us that God is always there for us. God's always providing us a way out. So let's turn to the reading from Isaiah. You know, the opening note there is a note of judgment. Uh, God says, I have had enough of burnt offerings, of rams, and the fat of fed beasts, of the blood of bulls, or of lambs, or of goats. God has had enough of sacrifice. The passage goes on to tell us that the reason God has had enough of sacrifice is because people are just going through the motions. They're showing up for worship, they're making their offerings, they're participating in the ritual, but it's as if they're not really listening anymore, that it's all just going in one ear and out the other. In other words, their life with God has hardened into this pattern, a, a set of practices that they just keep on repeating. But over time, the patterns and practices have become detached from a living relationship with God and with what God wants. They've become about maintaining things that make us comfortable. And when that happens, even away back in Old Testament times, when that happens, that's when the situation is ripe for disruption. So God comes along and says, listen up, people, listen up. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rescue the oppressed. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. Things may be going all right for you, but there are a lot of people for whom this world is not working. And in that circumstance, I don't want you just showing up and going through the motions. I want you to listen to those cries from the orphan and the widow and the oppressed, and then to do what you can to help. Do that, and things will once more be right between you and me, says God. Do that, and things will turn out right in the end for us, and for all of God's creation. The same theme comes into the, the psalm passage. God again saying, well, I give you full marks for your ritual observance, for your attendance, and for your offerings, but you're falling short on how you treat others. The two great commandments that we will say together in just a few moments' time, love God and love your neighbor, they're both requirements. They're both essential to a full and whole relationship with God. Let's turn now to the reading from Hebrews. You know, in, in this passage from Hebrews, you, you notice that refrain of faith in things unseen. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Abraham sets out for a place he's never seen. He follows God and trusts in God's promises even when there's next to nothing to go on or the promise itself seems impossible, like having children in old age. I think this passage is an apt passage for us to read in times like this. We, too, want the security of things we've known, things we have seen, things we can touch. We want to hold on to the ways that are familiar, We'd like to look out upon a familiar landscape and recognize all the landmarks. 
We long for the predictability that we once knew. But the reason that we gather here to sing and to pray and to attend to the word of God and to eat and drink together at the table and to become the body of Christ, the reason we do this is to train ourselves to desire a better country and a better world. We gather because deep down we know that the world as it is, the status quo, is not the world that God has in mind. And while we might be tempted to look back to the land we've left behind, to the world we've left behind, just like you know how the Israelites did that after they left Egypt and wandered in the desert for 40 years, sometimes longing to go back. But, the, but we can't go back. And, and we shouldn't want to go back even because God is not there, back there somewhere. God isn't in the settled ways we've known, whether the slave camps of Egypt or the social and political institutions that we have made in our recent history. God is always at work disrupting our best efforts because God has something better in store for us. God has for us a promise of something infinitely more than we can ask or imagine for us, for all of God's children, and for the whole of creation. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.